if you would allow me to open this up with a word of prayer. Father, we just love you so much, and we thank you, God, that we can uh, celebrate you and celebrate life. And God, we just ask for your presence to be in this word here this morning, that it would be impactful to our hearts and to our lives. Father, without you, God, it's just words, but Father, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts and our minds like never before. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I have the honor and privilege of speaking out of 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we're in our series of 1 Peter, A Living Hope, and uh, I'm so excited to be able to minister the gospel to you this morning in this particular context as well that we're going to go over, and um, the original um, time I was uh, going to be speaking with you was supposed to be verses 1 through 17, and that was just too much to actually cover as far as uh, expository preaching. And so I felt the Lord leading me to a few verses in First Peter chapter 3 that we're going to go over. But if I can just give you a summary of kind of the first few verses there, about 1 through 12, uh, Peter is addressing the Christian church, and one of his central themes here amongst a living hope is uh, you are being watched. And that as uh, people are watching us, our lives sh should resemble the hope that is in us. And so uh, verses 1 through, I believe, 12 talks about husbands and wives and how uh, husbands should love their wives and, lo and wives should love their husbands, but that it should be separate from the way that the world does it, that we should live above reproach in that manner, that we should treat our spouses differently than the world treats their spouses. And so that's just a summary of what Paul is trying to say is that as people are watching you, uh, make sure that you are not fake, but that you are genuinely loving your wife and loving your husband in the manner of which he writes in this particular context. So I implore of you uh, this morning to make sure that we are loving our spouses the way that God has intended us to love our spouses and no more and no, no less. Actually, more rather than less. Amen? So let's love them more and more and more. And so um, the title of my message before we get into the verse here is The Reason for My Hope. And the goal here this morning is uh, not that this would be a statement that I would say, but that it would be a statement that you would say as you leave this place today. The reason for your hope this morning. And as you would be so awesome to journey with me as we go into scripture, I would hope that when you leave, you would say the reason for my hope is. And uh, we hope that that hope is Jesus. And we're going to break it down a little bit. There's going to be some teaching components here today, which I'm really excited about. And uh, I love third service as well. Seems like the third service is really awake, so hopefully everyone's really paying attention, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. And uh, in verse 13 of chapter 3, it says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, I just got to pause here for a moment and just say all the cliche scriptures that come to mind in this particular verse. That who is there to harm you? So in other words, there is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. That greater is the one that's in you than he who is in the world. And I can just uh, lather up all the cliche verses that we have to go with this, but they are absolutely true. That if we are zealous for what is good and not just doing good things, but actually doing the things of God which are good, then who is there to harm harm us in this life. That as long as we are living a good, godly life, Peter affirms here who is there to really, really harm us. 
And so that's where we have our faith and our hope in God, that he is greater in us and he is our protector, he is our provider, and he is our resource when we feel like all hope is lost. So Peter just wants to bring to remembrance um, to these, uh, these uh, Christian people at this time that who is there to harm you. And then in verse 14, he quickly goes into the next verse which says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. Now, pause for a moment. He just said, who is there to harm you? And then he goes, well, even if you do suffer, let me just talk to you a little bit about suffering. And, and I believe he's trying to speak to these people here and as us today that uh, it rains on the just as well as the unjust, right? So there's something called life. Have you guys ever heard of it? It's called life, and life can be a pain. Life can just, it could stick it to you at times, and, and things could happen, and obstacles are thrown your way. And at this particular moment, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're not a Christian. Life is the same for each and every one of us. But life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. That's in essence what life is, is how do we respond to life and what happens. And so Peter's hope here is that we would respond to it with the grace of Jesus in our hearts. Amen. But nonetheless, we're going to be suffering. And he says, you will be blessed, but have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, what in the world are they fearing at this particular point? What is troubling them that Peter would actually write and say, stop fearing them? Well, it's pretty obvious, especially since Pastor Glenn talked about it last week a little bit, that there was this horrific leader, and his name was Nero. And Nero literally would dip people in oil and burn them alive in his garden, and he would walk past, and they would be set ablaze, and they were essentially his candle for the garden. Talk about a horrific, horrific ruler. And so, and uh, Nero wasn't just persecuting Christians alone. He was persecuting everybody. He was persecuting people in general. So Peter here just wants to say, listen, do not fear the Nero. Don't fear the sufferings that you may get for even defending your faith. But more importantly, fear God. And so we're going to learn here in just a few moments that in Isaiah chapter 8, Peter actually pulls from Isaiah chapter 8 to really bring to light who we should fear. And he says, do not fear what they fear, however fear God. And can I just tell you this morning that our fears should not rest in what man can do to us, but our fears should rest in our God because he is holy, he's transcendent, and he is powerful, and he is almighty. That is who our fear should lie in this morning. This year, I had the, uh, the wonderful opportunity to go on a missions trip with City Church College. And uh, the first two years of City Church College, you're required to go to Mardi Gras. And so uh, Mardi Gras is such a different place, uh, if you will, that particular event. And uh, I know that I've seen, uh, you know, I've researched Mardi Gras on the internet. I've seen documentaries on it on the TV. But when you're actually there in person, it is a completely different experience that for me, I've never experienced in my entire life. See, in Mardi Gras and Bourbon Street, you can essentially be who you want to be, do what you want to do with no repercussions. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be outcasted. It's actually accepted to do anything. It is, it's why it's called Mardi Gras. It was so that people could do and be whoever they wanted to be. Essentially, it was so that the mayor or the governor can come down, put on a mask, and do whatever he wanted to do without any repercussions. That is the, the concept, which is a completely horrible thing. And so as we were walking down to Bourbon Street, 
I just remember looking at all these things going, oh my goodness, this is absolutely, this is crazy. This is nuts. I've never seen anything like this before. And, and I know when we, we set up on Bourbon Street, there was about 600 of us with SUM, and uh, we took over Bourbon Street. So we were on either side of the sidewalk, and, and the road was, was uh, our, our partition in the middle. And when we got there, the first thing that we were required to do was to chant. Yes, chant. In other words, give me a J, J, you've got, yep, that was the chant that we did. Yep, that was us uh, going crazy and yelling with our bullhorn saying, Jesus, in the, in the middle of Bourbon Street. So it was just absolutely phenomenal. We were proclaiming the name of Jesus. And, uh, you know, we had some people that were crazy coming up to us and dancing with us and all that. But uh, I remember this one experience, and it was actually the first day it happened within the first five seconds of us actually going onto the street. So after our chance, the team leader said, all right, guys, hit the streets. We're like, we're hesitant. We're like, should we really go to the street right now? I don't know. There's, there's too many things happening right now. But, but with the confidence of God on our side, we stepped into the street and we started declaring Jesus. And I remember this one guy, uh, five seconds, I stepped off the street and, and he was there. And I said, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? And he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. They were very, they wanted to talk. I don't know why. They just really wanted to talk to anybody. It didn't matter. I said, hey, listen, can I pray for you? He looked at me and he said, you want to pray for me? I said, yeah, I want to pray for you. He said, why are you here? I said, well, I'm, I'm here with SUM. We're a school. We're a Bible college. And, and we're here because we really want to pray for you. And, and we want to know how your soul is. And, and is Jesus the Lord of your life? And we just really want to and be there for you and pray for you. And he looked at me and goes, but why are you here? I said, I feel like I just answered that. I don't, I don't really know what you want me to say at this, at this point. Um, I, I want to pray, I want to pray for you, yes. Like, you ever have to question yourself of why you're really doing something after you've already said what you're going to do? It's like, am I really here for that? Like, I don't know why I'm here, for, I, really. And so uh, I said, I want, I want to pray for you, and I really do. And he looked at me again. He goes, no, but why are you here? I was like, so he was insinuating that the reason why we're at Mardi Gras and we're from Bible College, the Bible College was an excuse for us to be at Mardi Gras and party. That, that's what he was insinuating. I was like, okay, sure. That's what, what are you thinking? And so at this particular time, he starts getting a little bit more defensive because he starts to come against me and he's not really liking me at this point. And so guys, you know that posture that you get from another guy when he wants to bow up to you or something, you know, he just kind of folds his hands like this and just... So why are you here, homie? And I'm like, hey, you know, because Jesus is real. <laughs> That's why I'm here. But at this point, it was my favorite part. Um, at this particular point, our wonderful executive pastor, and I love this because Pastor Glenn has had to hear this for three, three services in a row, which is amazing. He's never going to forget it, and I'm never going to let him forget it. Um, this is the gentleman that I was talking to at that particular moment. And Pastor Glenn is on the sidewalk and he goes, and this guy is essentially threatening me. He's getting in my face. He's this far away from me. He smells like alcohol. He smells like cigarettes. And here's good old Pastor Glenn going, there is hope found in Jesus. <laughs> Man, that is tweetable right there. Good job, Joe. That's, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. I'm never going to let you live that down. That's great. So he takes this picture, and this man is getting closer and closer and closer. And I've got my hands right here because I was always taught in, the, in fighting just to have them here and not to have them at your side. So I was ready to either block. I was ready to do something. I don't know. I was like, Jesus, take the wheel at this point. Just, I don't know. But I had them. I was I just, it's in me. The, the, the martial arts in me. I was like, okay, what do I do? Do I pray? Do I lay hands in Jesus' name? I don't 
Whew. Thank you. But at that point, at that particular time, um, we, I had to cut it off because he wanted to go too deep, and, and uh, he was intoxicated, so there's only so far you can go. But uh, it was actually a few days later at Mardi Gras that um, I was approached by another individual, and I said, hey, can I talk to you? And he comes over to me and goes, um, yeah, you can talk to me. I said, great. Hey, I want to pray for you. And then his whole demeanor changes, and he looks at me and goes, you want to pray for me? Say, yeah, man, I want to pray for you. I want to let you know that Jesus loves you, man. And, and I just, I kept the dialogue. And, and long story short, we had about the same conversation I had with this gentleman here. And uh, he paused me um, at the end. After I finished talking, he just kind of paused me and said, do you know what I want to do to you right now? Uh, I said, hey, okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't know what you want to do to me right now. He said, I want to stab you repeatedly until you bleed out, and then I want to take your body, and I want to crucify you like your boy did and watch you die. And I just looked at him, and I said, man, I love you. I truly do. He looks back at me and says, I hate you. I hate everything about you. And I promise you at that moment, I saw Satan in his eyes. This man had true and utter hate. And can I tell you this morning, this is what Peter is trying to tell you and me today, that you and I are going to suffer for the hope that is in us. We're going to suffer because Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, and because he suffered, we as well are going to suffer. But take heart because he has overcome the world. Take heart because he is greater that's inside of us than the enemy that tries to attack us. And at that moment, at that moment, I, didn't, I wasn't covered in fear. I was covered with protection. At that moment, I had no ounce of fear in me because I knew that God was in me and he was on my side. So in those moments, church, where you feel like your back is up against the wall and you're suffering for your faith, just know that Jesus resides in you and greater is the one that is in you than anybody or the enemy that could ever attack you. Just know that that hope in you is so incredibly awesome. But church, I just want to remind you, do not fear man more than you fear God. Because in Matthew chapter 10, it says this says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Sin, when we fear men that can only hurt our exterior, that's nothing. Where's your soul? How is your soul? Where is your soul when you die? So Peter is, is saying here, and Ma excuse me, Matthew is saying here, listen, don't fear them that can hurt your body. But man, fear God who can do what no man can do because he is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, he is omniscient, he is God. So don't fear those men, fear God. David goes as far as to say this, that in Psalms 23 verse 4, it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So as you're walking through your valley this morning, can I just bring hope and life to your situation to know that God is right there next to you. He's walking beside you. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you in your times of trouble and your times of difficulty. It may seem like you're walking alone. It may seem like this is your darkest hour, but can I just tell you that God is in you and is for you and loves you and wants you to move from point A to point B. So if you could just put your hope in him and and trust in him. Listen, it will be okay. Easier said than done, right church? Easier said than done. 
But that's why we're talking about the reason for our hope in us. And I want to spend just a few moments, if you'll allow me to, I want to spend a few moments on this particular verse that we're going to read. In verse 15, it says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So I want to camp here just for a few, if that's okay, because I feel like Paul is saying three things to the church here as well as saying it to us here today. I feel like he's saying three things, and the first thing I believe Peter is saying is holy. First Peter 3.15 says to honor the Lord as holy. In another translation, it says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. So we know sanctify means to set apart. It means to be separate or, or other. And, and so at this particular moment, what Peter is trying to say is don't forget that our God is holy. And some of us here in this room, and I hope nobody here in this room, underestimates and takes for granted our, the holiness of our God. Because our God transcends our understanding. He transcends our theories, who we are. And if there's ever a moment in your life where you feel like you have a complete understanding of God and that you know it all, at that particular moment, God stops being God. Because if you can understand God, then he is not God. If the finite can understand the infinite, then the infinity is not really true. So just know that who we believe in and who we trust in supersedes our knowledge, supersedes our efforts. Can I even say that uh, there's at times where we treat God and his holiness as somebody that's in our pocket or a genie in the bottle that we can rub the lamp and he'll come out at our beckoning calls like, God, could you do this for me? God, could you do that for me? And can I just tell you something? God has power, but not only does he have power, he is power. He is the power power. There is nothing like him. And I just want to express here just for a few minutes that what Peter was trying to express to the church here is that our God is so holy that as we walk into his sanctuary, we should just not walk in flippantly. We shouldn't just walk in as expecting God to do something. We should walk in in honor and reverence and in fear of our God that sits on the throne that created this universe. That as we walk into this place, man, we should be quick to take off our shoes, take off our socks, fall to our knees and our face and, and tremble before a God who created you and created me, not the other way around. Let's stop trying to fit our God into a box, yet let's try to fit into his kingdom. See, we try to build our own kingdom, as Pastor, Ta Pastor Glenn talked about last week. We try to build our own kingdom and then have God manage some aspects in our lives. But that's not how it works. Is we need to go and be a part of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that we would submit our will to his authority and who he is. See, in our westernized culture, we have this different depiction of God. There's some uh, eastern civilization. They'd look at us today and go, this is how you guys talk to your God? This is how you guys treat your God? Man, we, we tremble at God. We tremble at the deity that they believe in. And yes, our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. Our God is good. Our God is love. But can I tell you, he is so much more than that. He is so much more. 
Even so that there are scholars today that have uh, coined this particular uh, phrase here, and it's literally, it's uh, negative theology. That we have what is called a negative theology. And I know it sounds bad, but give me a moment to explain. Negative theology is this, is that any words that we could say or attribute to God are actually incorrect. He's beautiful. He's just. He's love. Words like that are actually incorrect. And here's why they're incorrect. Because there's no words that we could actually say that truly defines who God is. There is no words that we could say. He is outside of our language. If our language could actually define God, then God is not God. But he transcends everything that we are. He is holy. He is other. He is not a part of this world. He is not from this world. He is something that is other, that is outside of space, time, matter, reason, resource. He is outside of that. Know that this God that I'm talking about lives in you and me this morning. He lives in us. In Isaiah chapter 8, this is what Isaiah says. He says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Your dread. This is not a metaphor for honor, respect, or reverence. This is a literal translation to mean to terrify or to tremble. Our God, we should dread because our God is huge. Let me put it to you in a different perspective. The Israelites, when they were at Mount Sinai and Moses came down from the mountain, if anybody would touch the mountain, they would die. They had a fear of God. It was a holy fear because their, our God, or their God was so big and it was unlike anything they had ever seen before. Can I tell you, our God is like anything that we have ever seen, anything that we will ever experience. Buddha, Muhammad, no one else can touch who our God is. Their words, their prophecies, whatever it is, fall short to who our God is. He is alive, he is well, and he is speaking today, and he's the most consistent thing that you will ever have in your life today. Our God reigns. You say dread, actual dread. But can I just bring some life? Because some of us are, you're looking at me going, oh my gosh, dread, so should I be scared? And can I just tell you that this dread is a holy dread to our God. But that dread, that God lives inside of you. So you know who else dreads our God? Is the enemies that surround themselves around you. Is the enemy that tries to bring persecution around you. They dread the very thing that is in you. The God of the universe chose to live in you and chose to live in me. That is absolutely insane. That doesn't make sense that the God of the universe would make his home in our heart. The Bible says that even the demons know the name of Jesus, and at the name of Jesus, they what? Tremble. They dread him. So in that moment, we should know not that we are all powerful, but the one that is inside of us is powerful. The one that is inside of us is greater than any obstacle that life or the enemy would throw at us here this morning. It is our God. Dr. R.C. Sprawl puts it in this way. He says, we tend to have mixed feelings about the holy. Something draws us towards it, while at the same time, we want to run away from it. And isn't that so true? We can't live with it, 
and we can't live without it. The holiness of God. The holiness of God is so attractive that we want to actually go towards it to be better people, that God would do something in us, but then there's also something in us that it, we're repelled by it because our nature is we want to do what we want to do. I want to live my own life. So God, no, not today, not tomorrow. I'll figure it out on my own. So the holiness is twofold. We, we want it, but then we don't want it at the same time. We love it, then we're repulsed by it because the moment that the holiness of God or God asks us to do something that transcends our comfort or our abilities, in that moment we go, uh-uh, I'm okay. I'll go do this. But holiness is calling you. However, your flesh is also calling you. So this morning, I just want to challenge you to respond to the holiness of God in a life-transforming way. My second point is this. The second point is defense. This is what Peter is also trying to say to us this morning is defense. Apologia or apologia is the Greek word for defense, and it means apologize. So some of us, obviously, we've heard this word, apologize, right? Um, and so it has a twofold meaning. It doesn't just mean to have a spoken remorse about something. It also means to have a defense on a position that you believe in. It is also a defense. So this is the word here uh, that, that Peter uses, and it's a defense. Now, I just want to uh, I want to elaborate on what Peter's saying just for a moment. Not just defense, but in this word, apologia, it means to believe why you believe what you believe. To make a defense is to know why you believe what you believe and to defend it accordingly. I don't know how many of you know, but the Bible actually tells us that we need, we have responsibility to defend our faith to those that ask. The verse that we just read, we have a responsibility to defend it. Well, how do you defend your faith? You defend your faith by instilling the word of God in your heart and knowing why you believe what you believe. But there's too many Christians out there that if I were to ask them why they believe what they believe, they'll say, well, I, I grew up in church and, or my dad was a pastor or, you know, my, my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend, they go to church. So, yeah, I go and, yeah, it's good, you know, but, yeah, that, that's why I believe what I believe. And those, those moments... Peter is challenging this church, as, as I'm challenging you today, that we need to know why we believe what we believe. And in doing so, it means that we need to pick up our word and read it and have an understanding of what it's actually saying and speaking to us in our lives. How else are we supposed to change unless we pick up the word and read it so it's life, it, it transforms our life like no other? And I don't care if you've read the Bible 50 times in six months. I don't care if, if you can even quote it. But if you don't live it and you don't have an understanding of what you're reading, then it means absolutely nothing. I tell my interns all the time as, uh, as they're going over the summer internship and they're going through their soap and their journaling and, and it's requiring them to read like five, six chapters a day. And, and some of them go, I mean, that's just a lot of reading. And some of them are, you know, 15, 16 years old. And it's a lot of reading, but I'm reading, I'm trying to get through it. And, and I told them, I said, it's not about catching up so you can be on the day when it's due. It's about reading a verse or two and having an understanding of what that verse is saying in your life and living it out in faith. I don't care if somebody knows five chapters of the Bible or if they read uh, 15 chapters today. How are you understanding the Bible and living it in order that you can make a defense for people who ask you what hope lies in you? 
That is where Paul, that's where Peter is going with this, is that understand your word and live out your word and know why you believe what you believe. In Acts chapter 17, it says this, 17 11, it says this, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Can I just, and I didn't say this in the first two services, but I'll say it in this one. Don't take what I say to be 100% truth. Match it and examine it in the scriptures for yourself. Because I can let you down, pastor can let you down, pastor Glenn can let you down, but Jesus will never let you down and his word will never let you down. It says here that these Jews examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. Listen, go home today and say, is the Bible actually saying this? There is nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it's encouraged to do that so you can know why you believe what you believe. Hey, don't have a belief based on my foundation. Don't have a belief based on my foundation of faith. Have a belief based on your foundation of faith that you have built in Christ Jesus Because if you build your house on my foundation, it'll fall every single time. But if you build your foundation on Jesus Christ, then it'll never fall. Build it on him, not on somebody else's. Understanding your word is how we combat the enemy. The armor of God says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. How in the world are you supposed to hack down the enemy? How in the world are you supposed to handle life's tasks and struggles and trials? Well, it's the word of God that you are to use as a sword to make sure that you can get from point A to point B. That The the line of defense comes from the helmet of salvation down to the shoes. But then the sword of the spirit allows you to be built up to actually make a dent and an impact for the kingdom of God against the enemy. But if you don't know your word this morning, then you are not able to properly defend what you believe. But you have to have an an instilling of the word of God in studying and reading and knowing what it says and applying it to your life. Amen? My last point is this. Number three. Number three is reason. By far, I I believe this is one of my my favorite points here as I was studying this particular scripture because it's so awesome And I hope that that same uh, revelation is revealed to you this morning. I want to give you five fundamental reasons for our hope this morning. Five fundamental reasons. The first one is that he came, Jesus died, he rose, he reigns, and he returns. These are the five fundamental reasons for our hope in Jesus this morning. To where if you don't know where your hope lies in or your, your reason for hoping, can I just tell you, your reason is that he came and died and rose and he reigns and he will return. That is the reason for our hope this morning. But I just want to let you know we have other reasons for our hope. These are the, the foundational reasons. They're the fundamental reasons. But there are other reasons for our hope. And, and if I can just be candid and, and let you know what some of my reasons are. Jesus Save me. Because of Jesus, I'm saved. Because of Jesus, I'm alive. 
Because of Jesus, he saved my dad that was on drugs for 20 years of his life in New York and brought him to Jacksonville to be a pastor. That's which I am born and I am here in your presence here today because of Jesus. That's why I'm here. He is my reason. He's the reason I sing. He's the reason I dance. He's the reason I preach. He's the reason that I love my wife. He's the reason why I love my daughter. He's the reason why I love my family. He is my reason this morning. Can I ask you a question? What is your reason this morning? What is your reason for your hope? I want to break down this word reason. This word reason is so incredibly amazing. We know it as the English word, right? But when Peter is actually writing this, purposely uses this reason, this word reason, the word reason means logos. And for some of you Bible scholars, you'll know that logos means the word. So in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word there, John chapter 1, and John says that this reason is Jesus. Because Greek philosophers at the time were looking for the reason for the universe. They were looking for the reason for their life, as some people are still looking today for a reason. But John is trying to bring it together and say the reason that you're looking for is actually found in Jesus. He is the Logos. He is the Word. He's the reason why this all exists. He's the reason why you're here today. He's the reason why you've made it this far. He's the reason why you're not dead and dying somewhere, but that you have life and have it more abundantly. He's the reason why he died. He's the reason this morning. Is he your reason for your hope? Is he the reason for your hope? So Peter here says that what is your reason? That reason needs to be Jesus. Jesus is my hope this morning. I don't have just a reason to be alive. I don't have just a reason to be at church. My reason is Jesus. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is how I go day in and day out without losing my mind. Holding my family together is Jesus. Holding my marriage together is Jesus. Holding my relationship with my daughter is Jesus. But if your hope does not lie in Jesus, then that means your hope lies in something else that will ultimately fail you. See, if your hope lies in your bank account, if it lies in your job, if it lies in your relationships, depending if they go well or not, if it lies in your pastor, that hope will fail you. But when the reason of your hope is none other than Jesus himself, He'll never let you down. And he'll be the bridge to the relationship problems that you're having. He'll be the bridge for the bank account issues, the financial problems, the job problems. If your hope and your reason is Jesus, he'll work it all out for his good and his glory. Listen, Jesus has plainly said that he will work all things out all things out for them who love him and are called according to his purpose. It may not look like it now, but can I tell you, if your hope and your reason is Jesus, it will work out for your good and his glory. 
Lastly here, verse 16, as I officially close. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter's theme here, not one of his central themes, but one of his themes here is that you're being watched, remember? You are being watched. Peter must be assuming that the inward hope of Christians results in lives so noticeably different that unbelievers are prompted to ask why they are so distinctive. In other words, Peter's assuming that because of the hope that lies in you, your life will never be the same, and people are gonna, want, are gonna ask you, why in the world are you not the same person? It's gonna cause people to ask you, why are you so different? Man, life just threw a, a curveball at you. Why in the world do you, are you filled with joy? It makes no sense. Man, you just lost this loved one in your life. Man, you're going through one of the hardest relational times of your life. You just lost your job. How in the world are you able to keep this face on? And Peter is saying here, because of the hope that lies in you and not in material things, they're going to want to know what that hope is and not just know, they're going to want that hope for themselves as well. They're going to want it for themselves. So if Jesus is not in you, that represents the word that is in you, then nobody will ever ask you what the hope is in you. Because that hope needs to be Jesus. And listen, it's not about what you say to people. It's how you act in front of people. In other words, words will not convince if they are out of harmony with your life. Words won't convince anybody of the hope that's in you if it's out of harmony with your life. You can say you love Jesus till you're blue in the face. You can come to church, you can lift your hands, you can do all the exterior things, but if internally Jesus is not your reason, if he's not the reason for your hope, then you won't convince anybody. Your life convinces people, not your words. Your life. A good life without words is a better defense of religion than the most learned apology without a godly life. A good life without words is a better defense of Jesus in you than a great apology of words, but not a godly life. This morning, my question is, is Jesus the reason for your hope? Is he the reason for your hope this morning? Or is your hope in something else that will ultimately let you down? If I can have everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this place tonight, this morning, and you say, Pastor Joe, I just don't, I don't know if I'm a follower of Christ. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm putting my hope in other things this morning. And I'm continuously being let down over and over again. And this morning, I just, I want to give my life to God. I want to be a follower of him. And I want to be filled with this hope and have this reason 
in me. If that's you, can I see your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Amen. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. When you can put your hands down this morning. Father, we just thank you. Lord, right now, Father, as these individuals have lifted their hands, God, I pray, Lord, as they confess with their mouth that you are their reason for their hope this morning. That, God, you would minister. That, God, you would just captivate them. Father, would you enter their lives like never before, forever changing them. That, God, other people would see this hope that's in them and want to know what in the world is different. Father, would you fill them. Father, would you bless them.